Okay, if you want to take your scriptures and turn over to Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10, and we'll let you know about a couple things that are going to be happening here in the next couple weeks. Uh, first of all, today is like a family day, and it's at Craig's uh, family cabin, which is about 15 minutes or so from here. You can get directions from the back, uh, but it's from 2 to 5, and it's a great opportunity to, I mean, they're going to have all kinds of activities going on out there uh, with everything from shooting arrows to uh, throwing hatchets to shooting guns, all kinds of fun stuff. So anyway, if you'll go out there, uh, 2 to 5, we'd love to have you. Then we're also going to be having, uh, in just a couple weeks, we're going to have our backyard VBX, and Becky's going to come up at the end of the service. She's going to give you an update on that, and also the VBX on the main campus that starts tomorrow. It's a lot of great things going on. If you are visiting with us, we've been in a series the last several weeks called The Good Book, and the good book, the principle uh, of it is there is a, an individual, a couple of ministers that wrote, uh, and they pulled 40 of the chapters out of the Bible, and then they wrote a devotional so that you can go five days a week over eight weeks and just basically focus on a chapter, a significant chapter out of the Bible every day. And uh, it has been outstanding. I've got to be honest, every morning I just love to get up, give me a cup of coffee, and just get into God's Word, one chapter there, and just pull the, the meat out of that thing, and it's just good stuff. It's not too late. If any of you would still like to buy that, even through the summer, I recommend it's a great thing to go through. We are in the seventh of the eight uh, weeks, and today the theme is simply this, the good book, God Loves the People You Can't Stand. Uh, how many of you have somebody that you can't stand? Just raise your hand. Even if you're in church, boy, some of you got your hands up quick. Okay. How many of you are sitting by somebody you can't stand? Just go, yeah, there we go, okay. See, all of us battle this. I and mean, we've got to be really honest that uh, I think for Christians to say, I love everyone the same, really? I mean, let's, let's be honest. And part of life is dealing with conflict. And that's what we're going to get in today. I was doing some research on, to me, one of the simplest and most profound songs that has ever been written and my guess is if you've ever gone to Sunday school, you've sang this song, and it's Jesus Loves the Little Children. You've hopefully sang that a time or two. Jesus loves the little children, say it with me, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. So it's a profound message. But how this song came about is interesting. Actually, it was written, first of all, by George Frederick Root, and it was not at all Jesus Loves the Little Children. The title of that song was Tramp, Tramp, Tramp. Uh, it's come a long way since Tramp, Tramp, Tramp. Now, the word Tramp, Tramp, Tramp was all about the Civil War. And when he wrote it, he wrote it from the perspective of Union troops who were prisoners and that the Union soldiers would tramp, tramp, tramp to victory over the Confederate army and then free them. So he wrote this entire song about that. Years later, Claire Herbert came along and loved the tune, but not necessarily the words, and totally rewrote the song to Jesus Loves the Little Children. Isn't it interesting that that song began as a war song with a definite enemy in mind, and it ended up with the universal love of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to get in today. All of us have to deal with how God feels about those that we don't understand and we may not even like. 
E.B. White said this, that providence, excuse me, prejudice is a great time saver. You can form opinions without having the facts. All of us know what it is in life at times to be prejudiced. This morning, we're going to look at Acts 10. We're going to look at Peter's blind spot and then lessons on how we can manage conflict. So first of all, you've got your scriptures. Let's look at Peter's blind spot. Now, here's the timeline you need to understand about what's going on in Acts chapter 10. When this is being wrote, it is 10 years, hard to imagine, but scholars agree that it's 10 years from the moment that Jesus ascended, and then Peter delivered that message in Jerusalem, and thousands of people in Acts 2 came to Christ. Now, imagine that, a 10-year period of time, and now you're at Acts chapter 10, and you begin to see vividly that Peter has a blind spot. And uh, spoiler alert, he doesn't like Gentiles. He has no, no room in his heart for Gentiles. Now imagine walking on this earth for three years with Jesus and actually picking a group of people and saying, God can't love that group of people. And yet that's where we find Peter. In Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 1, verses 1 through 3, there's a fascinating character that shows up, and his name is Cornelius. Now, here's what we know about Cornelius. We know that Cornelius is in the Joppa area in Italy, that he is a centurion over an Italian regiment, which means is in our world today, it'd be like he's a captain of the army. He has century or centurious means he, had, uh, he was the leader of 100 men, soldiers, warriors, so he had position, and he had everything going for him, power and position. And yet here's what we find in verse 2. He was a devout, God-fearing man. He had spiritual influence over his family. He gave alms, which means that he gave his, his generosity, gave his gifts to those that were in financial need. And he prayed to God on a regular basis. And in verse 3, it said he had a vision from God. And through an angel, God gave him this message. I know you. I've noticed you. I see that you're devout. And I see your heart. And here's what he does next, which is amazing. I know you have so many spiritual questions. So I want you to get a group of men. And I want those men to travel 30 hours north. And I want them to find a man. And that man's name is Peter. And I want you to bring him here. And he'll answer your spiritual questions. But do you see a problem? Peter hates who? Gentiles. And so the very, he doesn't know this, but the very guy that the angel says, go get this guy, this guy cannot stand Gentiles. And now he's not just a Gentile, he's a leader in the Gentile world. And that that's how God always works. The issue is the very man that he's going to see Peter, Peter's still battling pride because of who he is and his position in Christ. Now, we know about pride and position. Sometimes we ourselves get hung up on our name. And when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you know what? Your last name doesn't matter anymore. Your name is Christ. I'm a Christian. And yet we can get hung up on our name. This is a story I found I thought was uh, uh, interesting. Uh, years ago, uh, there was a, a man from Boston, a young man, graduated from an Ivy School League, went to Chicago to get a position in an investment firm, and they asked him to bring a cover letter and a resume, and uh, 
and recommendations. So this was the recommendation letter, and uh, I want you to listen to this. This is pretty interesting. He just said, his father, they wrote, was a Cabot. His mother was a Lowell. If you go further back, you'll find that it was a happy blend of the Saltonstalls. There's also Peabody's in the bloodline of another prominent Boston first family. Without hesitation, he gave that recommendation to the banking firm. The banking firm then wrote the original person who wrote the letter and said, we are not contemplating using this young man for breeding purposes. We just need somebody to do a good job. Oh, that's a great reply. Your name and my name, other than Christ, it doesn't matter. And yet, if we're not careful, we can start putting people in boxes. We can actually put entire nations in boxes, and we think, how could God love them? Remember that simple little tune? Jesus loves who? All the children. He loves everyone in this room. He loves the very people that we don't like. Now, this was all through the book of Acts. We see conflict. In Acts chapter 2, we see Peter preaching an incredibly difficult message about the life of Jesus. In Acts 5, we see hypocrisy, and then we see God divinely intervening. In Acts 6, we see the church is exploding in growth, so they have to delegate delegate new workers. In Acts 7, we see Stephen becoming the first martyr. In Acts 9, we see Paul, who was an an avid, uh, basically a murderer of the Jewish people, a murderer of Christians, and what happened? He came to Christ. All throughout Acts, we see one conflict after another. And now here's this major conflict, and that is Peter doesn't like Gentiles. And most of the reason was for man-made rules. Listen to a few of the man-made rules that they had, the Jewish people towards the Gentiles. Number one, a Jewish family could not have a Gentile family in their home or vice versa. Gentiles were considered ceremonially unclean. Even the dirt on their feet was considered bad, terrible dirt. And so what happened is they would always dust their sandals if they even walked through Gentile territory. If you were given milk and a Gentile touched that milk in any way, you could not drink the milk. Now, what did Jesus say about that kind of attitude? Well, in Matthew 59, he said, The problem is there are those who worship me in vain, but they would rather follow the rules taught by man. Now, aren't you glad the church doesn't struggle with this today? That we don't get, we don't, we don't get concerned about man-made rules. Aren't you glad this is not our issue? But it is an issue. Think about in the churches you've grown up in, rooms and man-made rules that become the most important things in that church. You ever been a part of a church where that's happened? You ever been a part of a really fun congregational meeting? And about halfway through, you want to raise your hand and say, are we ever going to get upset about anything that's actually in the Bible? Seriously, you ever been there? The church uh, we were at before we came here in Illinois um, was around, I think Abraham Lincoln was a deacon there, I'm sure. I mean, it had been around a long time, okay? And so uh, they had, uh, there was a, a special little ladies group, very special, called the Loyal Daughters. I hope they're turning the tape off right now. Anyway, uh, the Loyal Daughters had a very special room and only two of the ladies carried keys. Nobody else could get in the room, which I simply called the Holy of Holies. I mean, it had to be, I thought the Ark of the Covenant had to be in that little room. So one day I couldn't take it anymore, and somehow the, the key turned up, and I'm like, 
hey, I got to go see this room. So I get in there, and it's like old china and pictures and kind of gaudy stuff. You know, I'm looking, I'm like, so what's the big deal? And I said, oh, no, 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 everything in here is priceless. That's why the, the room has to be locked up. And I said, but what if we would need that room? Oh, you would have thought I killed Abraham. You know, like, oh, you don't know. You don't touch the loyal daughter's room. That's the special room. Now, you know what? Every church that I know of has a special room. Ours is the bar. I mean, every church, every church has a very special room, special man-made rules. And the older the church is, guess what? They have more rules that we get upset about. Man-made rules. Now, here's what Peter's struggling with. I have all these man-made prejudices about the Gentiles, but yet nothing holds, nothing holds water. So I want you to pick up verse 9. Now, this is coming from Peter's perspective and how God intervenes. About noon, the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray, and he became hungry. He wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance, and he saw the heaven opened up and something like a large sheet being let down from earth on four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles on this earth and birds of the air. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now look at verse 14. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. Why does Peter always argue with God? Have you ever noticed that? Seriously. I mean, I always like to say Peter had athlete's tongue. You know what I'm talking about? He's always putting his foot in his mouth. He's always upset about something. He never thinks through what he's saying. And look at verse 15. And then the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And then actually God spoke to him a third time. What's the message? Peter, it's time to get over this blind spot. It's time for you to realize there isn't clean and unclean. We're all unclean without Jesus Christ. All of us fall short of God's glory. You need to wake up and you need to get this right. Now, isn't it interesting what happens at that moment? Peter begins to reflect on this vision and then there's a knock at the door. And when he hears the knock at the door, here's the representatives from Cornelius. Isn't that awesome? And they're like, hey, we hear that you've got some great news, and our leader, his name is Cornelius, and would you please come to his home and share your news with him? Now, before that vision, what do you think Peter would have done? He would have just slammed the door in their face. But instead, he realized, no, God is moving me to a totally different world than I'd ever been in. I need to love all the children of the world. Now, what do you call that? That over here you got Cornelius who has this vision, and these guys are making a journey, and at the very same time, Peter basically is having a vision, and his heart is being softened, and then all of a sudden there's this amazing encounter. Now, some would say, well, that's just coincidence. But I got to be honest, I've talked to so many folks and how they've come to Jesus Christ, and I've heard a lot of coincidences. Haven't you? How a random conversation led to this, that led to that, and next thing you know, somebody's broken, and they say, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. There's no coincidence. That's called the providence of God. So let me share with you what providence is. Providence is God's involvement in this world to accomplish his 
purposes. Providence is God's involvement in this world to accomplish his purposes. I want to share with you a story, and I want you in your mind to register whether you think this actually could happen. There was a missionary that had a team come over, and the captain of this team, his name was Dan Page. He's not a minister. He's just leading this team on this missions trip, and they're over in Africa. And they approach, uh, they're with a missionary, and they walk into a village. And as they walk into the village, the leader of the village walks up to the man wearing an Atlanta Braves ball cap, an older gentleman like myself with white hair. And here's what he said, the chief of the village. He said, I had a village, or excuse me, I had a vision. And the vision was that there would be a white man with white hair wearing a hat with a symbol on it, and that that man would bring great news. And at that moment, Dan Page took off his Atlanta Braves ball cap, and he flashed his white hair, and he said, I've got some great news to share with you today. And he shared Jesus Christ. Now, do you believe that that could happen? Absolutely. Now, if that could happen in a remote corner of Africa, you don't think it could happen in Monroe County, in Bloomington, or Ellettsville, or Spencer? It happens every day. God is moving in ways we can't possibly comprehend. And God will use whatever it takes to get your attention, to get my attention. Sometimes it's a poem. Sometimes it's a song. Sometimes it's a conversation. Sometimes it's a church service. It doesn't matter. He's got countless ways to intervene in your life because God is constantly reaching out to you and reaching out to the people that we may not even like. It doesn't matter. He loves them and he loves us. And you know why I'm so thankful for God? I'm so thankful, God, because he didn't give up on me. Aren't you thankful? And he hasn't given up on you. And so we have no right to give up on anybody else. Isn't it interesting, too, that the angels didn't share the good news? They didn't share the good news with Peter or Cornelius. Did you notice what they said? We need to put human beings together to have this conversation. Everybody in this room is a missionary. Everybody in this room is an ambassador. Everybody in this room, God has put here for a reason. You never know who God's going to put in your path to have a conversation about him. And are you ready to have that conversation? Because it's going to happen. You're going to have these opportunities where somebody comes to you and you just need to be prepared to share what Jesus Christ has done for you. He's still using people today. So let me just transition into what I would call a managing conflict, some common sense ways to manage conflict. Because my guess is some of you in this room are in a conflict relationship right now. You're dealing with conflict. And I want you to know that Aristotle said this, and I love this, that the unexamined life is not worth living. All of us need to dig deep and say, Lord, how do I handle conflict? Years ago, I read a book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And one of the things he said that I, I try to think about a lot when I'm in the midst of conflict is seek first to understand before, you, before wanting to be understood. It's just go into any conflict saying, I want to listen because I know I have blind spots. I want to listen first before I just speak out. And I want to share some personalities, three personalities, and I want you to see where the conflict is in each one of these personalities. And you might even see yourself at times in these personalities. The first one is, uh, Claudia Mitchell calls this the crab bucket personality. And here's what a crab bucket is. 
those that have ever watched guys with crab buckets and you've got a bucket full of crabs and you know something interesting? They never put a lid on a crab bucket. Anybody know why? Because as soon as the crab gets out, tries to get out, another crab will automatically reach up and grab him down. He'll never let him get out. And I think about the times in life that we should be building others up in the church, but with our words, we actually are pulling people down. And it happens all the time in the church. We should never be in the presence of pulling others down, but always lifting others up. After first service, Randy Abrams said, hey, John, there's something else that could happen in the crab bucket. He says, what if you've got an obnoxious crab and he doesn't want to get pulled down, but he's going to crawl over all the other crabs to get out of the bucket? Well, that's another bucket problem. I don't know. But all of us have conflict with individuals when we feel hurt because somebody is pulling us down. Or the personality that I call the porcupine. That's the individual that has a very hard time allowing people to get close to them. And as a defense mechanism, they throw out little darts. Now, here's a scripture I'd love all of you to just write down. Proverbs 26, 18, and 19. Proverbs 26, 18, and 19. See if you've ever heard this one. Like a madman shooting firebrands or deadly arrows is a man who deceives his neighbor by saying, I was only kidding. I want you to reflect over the last couple of weeks and think of the times you've thrown a dart and then you followed it with, just kidding, man. You know I'm just messing with you. Okay. Have you ever had somebody that said that about the 13th time and you're like, I'm tired of you're just messing with me? Because you know behind the dart, there's something there. So I think it's important to ask ourselves, man, am I doing that in my conversations? I mean, am I actually tearing people down and I'm hiding behind, hey, I'm just messing with you. I'm just kidding. And then third of all is the one that gets, I think, Christians in trouble more than anything else, and that's the chameleon. The chameleon is simply you're one person in church, and then as soon as you walk out the doors, you're a totally different person. Uh, you want to know what's sad? You know where this shows up a lot? Uh, over the years, I've had a chance to teach a lot of young adults, and uh, I heard this story years ago, and I won't share the whole story, but I'll just share the question. The question is, how many here have ever worked in the food industry, a waiter or anything like a waiter? Okay, so here I would ask 20-somethings this all the time. What's the worst group to wait on? And I always get the same answer. Anybody want to guess? Christians on Sunday afternoon. They said, oh, they're the worst. Two reasons. Anybody want to guess what the first one is? They don't tip. That's the first one. They're cheap. That's the, and then you know what the next one is? They're obnoxious. They're, they say their prayers, and then guess what? They get so rude. That is so embarrassing, seriously, that you can walk out of church and treat another human being that way. Seriously, I, I just I don't get it. But we do it all the time. If Christians aren't careful, they do this. They, they allow the world to say, why would I want to be like that? They, they wear the, the, the merchandise. They've got the crosses and the bumper stickers. And then, oh, my land, their attitude towards other people. So it's pretty clear that this is an area all of us are in, is how do we not just handle conflict, are we willing to go the next step and say, Lord, work on my heart? Are there people that I don't care for that I need to actually pray for, that I need to love the way that you loved me? 
Now imagine Peter. Here's the good news. This took him all those years with Jesus, and 10 more years, God still worked on him. So you may be wrestling with this. Guess what? God's still working on you, and he's still working on me. Conflict is a very real part of life. I love this question that anytime we're in a season of conflict, is, is this a tension to manage or a problem to solve? Is this a tension to manage or a problem to solve? How many of you this week would say that you've lived through some tension? Am I the only one? Okay. Tension is every, there's not a day go by that there isn't tension in life. And sometimes you don't have to solve a problem when it's tension. But there's other times that's not tension. You have to solve a problem. And in that conflict, are we willing to handle that like Christ? 